You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to Collective Cafe To Go. This is the podcast version of the Collective Cafe. Now, the Collective Cafe happens every single weekday, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in Alpha Collective's Discord server, discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. It is free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. If you like to listen live and even participate, come onto stage, comment in our back chat, you can do that. Whether you're on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wednesday, we have guests take the stage, almost like an open mic. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption. So give us a subscribe if you're listening on the podcast or come and attend one day. Remember, it is a safe, welcoming space and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe to go. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you are well. Level is pretty high. Good morning, Bears. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning, Jensa. I hope you are having a wonderful, wonderful Thursday. It is March 16th, and uh, today, um, you know, I was thinking about, um, uh, um, I have Tom Davenport on the show today, doing a pre-record at um, at 1 p.m., and he wrote a seminal book, and I mean like really a seminal book, uh, called The Attention Economy, and, um, and so I actually reached out to him to have him on the show uh, funnily enough, he's, he's got a new book that he actually wants to spend most of his time talking about. So he said he would come on the show um, on on the uh, provision um, that we didn't, you know, he, he said, of course, we'll talk about the attention economy, but he really, his focus now is on AI. And um, and actually, he's, he's going to bring an unbelievable perspective uh, to the table. Uh, hello, YK Dojo. Welcome back. Um, and he's, he's, he's out again. They come in, they leave. Uh, it's awesome. Um, Tom, let me tell you about... Oh, he's here. <laughs> and he's back. Welcome. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, about Tom. Um, and uh, just so you know his uh, credentials, because he has credentials. I guess we all have credentials. Um, where is his bio? Uh, here it is. Um, he's a distinguished professor of information technology and management at Babson College, visiting professor at Oxford Business School, fellow of the MIT Digital Economic Economy Initiative and senior advisor to Deloitte's AI practice. So we're going to be talking about uh, AI today and uh, specifically aggressive use of AI by companies where generative AI chat GPT will go. Um, so I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation because so much chatter about chat gpt about what it's doing what it isn't doing um i just saw and let me see if i can find it on on linkedin and if i can um i will share it with you if anybody knows how uh to find all your articles that you've saved i haven't quite figured that one out yet um but uh it can't be that hard right but it was it was just amazing about some of these use cases already uh, for ChatGPT, scary, scary stuff. 
you know, when I say, okay, let me rephrase that. When I say scary stuff, I don't mean like, you know, scary as in like scary, crazy, scary, cool, um, scary, you know, like, like stuff like, like, um, chat GPT was able to take a napkin sketch basically and create a website based on it. Um, and you know, yes, last night my son was telling me, um, about like, for example, you could, you could ask chat GPT to write a story or a, or a short story or a, or just a few paragraphs where, where every word is like a b c d e f g h i j k i mean all these kinds of things and it does it instantaneously analyzing a smart contract and finding flaws in it as well um so we'll talk about that um but i wanted to i wanted to chat a little bit about uh, oh and of course there's a pow up um uh bez says i see your tweets have been on fire did somebody set my my tweets on fire um you may need a fire extinguisher well, it's funny because, you know, we talk about this idea of the attention economy. And, and this book was written in 2001. Also, hello to AA835AAA. Uh, you're going to have to tell me what their name means at some point as well. So the POAP will be live 8.59 to 9.14 normal time. Um, and actually, the image that you will see in the POAP um, uh, are a bunch of nuns. And um, let me just put this in for you. Uh, go look at the cafe chat. So this was all over South by Southwest. Have you seen this nun? And then it says, accept this quest from Mrs. Davis. Tag your nun sightings. Earn your wings. Uh, I have my wings. I actually earned my wings. Um, I saw a whole uh, pack of nuns. Is, is, that, is that correct? Do you say a pack of nuns? Um, I'm, I'm suddenly thinking... I'm suddenly thinking that I don't know if there is a term, a group of nuns, um, and they were all walking around. I, I imagined it to be uh, fairly early in the process because I saw them all over that it was some kind of an activation. Um, I mean, I think it was fairly obvious that it was some kind of an activation, um, specifically because, you know, these nuns were wearing sunglasses and uh, and uh, they just, you know, they, they just, you just don't see that. Uh, around South by Southwest, and more importantly, you do expect to see that during South by Southwest in Austin of all places. And um, and so I'm going to just show you a photo of me with with the nuns. Got a got a group photo, and they gave me my wings. I'm not sure what that means just yet. Um, but if you look at the um, if you look at the uh, back chat, you will see me uh, with with the nuns, and they were great. They were all in character. They said, "Have a blessed day." I said, is, "Is it okay that I'm Jewish?" And they said, "You know." And they were saying things like, "The Lord sees everyone equally," and so uh, it was awesome seeing them in role. Now, the, it, it's um, it's a new show on Peacock called Mrs. Davis, and uh, let me just tell you, if you're looking for a certain code to activate a certain uh, POAP, you might want to try. Mrs. Davis, two words, all lowercase, MRS space D-A-V-I-S. You might want to try it. may work, it may not. Um, here's, um, I also just posted um, a, um, a link uh, to the show, the official trailer. By the way, mission accomplished, right, Mrs. Davis? Uh, because here I am talking about the show, uh, intrigued about the show, sharing the show, and, uh, and, and maybe that's what you have to do uh, to get attention. Right, because they say that we have a an attention span right now of seven seconds, uh, and a goldfish is eight seconds. I mean, we hear that discussed all the time. I'm I'm curious as to whether it's true or not. Um, but it's pretty scary if you think about human beings at the same level as as a goldfish. And of course, anyone who knows goldfish knows that they forget, and just you know every. Every, I guess, eight seconds, they, uh, their life almost begins again. So it's going to be very hard um, to obviously, you know, it, it's quite an intellect. It, it, it's, he's an academic, so it's an academic uh, book. But I thought maybe um, there are two chapters that I would read or read a little bit. I think I'm going to start off with uh, page 54. It says, from amoebas to apes, the psychobiology of attention. Because, I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, here's the thing about attention. This, this book was written in 2001. So 
you know, any book that any book that's written early enough. That's why I'm proud of of Life After the Thirty Second Spot because I wrote that in 2004. You know, when when I dedicate a chapter to consumer generated content, uh, and YouTube hasn't even been founded, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of being able to you know to make you know to be able to make these calls and and uh you know and and be right about it not because of ego or status um but because you know it is validation um it 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 it's self-worth if anything um and so to write this book in 2001 this is at the time when you know i mean it's it's the dot com bubble bursting it's uh it, it it's when lambo you know from a web3 standpoint it's it's stunts and, and doing whatever you can in order to break through the clutter, recognizing um, how bombarded we are on a daily basis with marketing messages, with stimulus, with stimuli. I mean, could, could Tom, I'll ask him today, could he have ever imagined what 2023 would look like? You know, I mean, from, from what he wrote in 2001. Um, could he ever imagine what that mobile phone uh, would have basically done to attention and all these um, distractions. And so um, I thought it would be a good idea to go back to it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit of reading. Um, I'll see if it goes anywhere. And, and as always, um, please feel free to comment in the chat um, to come up to stage if you want to ask some questions towards the end. I think when we do the live reads, what I like about the format um, is that for the first 50 minutes or so, or 45 minutes, I'll do some reading and discussing, um, answer your questions, and then, and then we can, you know, like just have a group discussion a bit later if you, if you choose to. All right, so this is called uh, From Amoebas to Apes, The Psychobiology of Attention. By the way, you get my attention when you use words like psychobiology. Uh, you cannot train an ape. If you insist on pretending it is, it is really a calculator. Okay, let me read that again. You cannot train an ape if you insist on pretending it really is it, it is really a calculator. Likewise, the first step in effective attention management is to stop insisting that people function logically and accept the biological realities that dominate the human brain. We can learn much from simply accepting the animal nature of our attention psychology. In the mid-1990s, a group of business academics gathered to analyze and discuss the phenomenon of attention which they all agreed was becoming more and more important to corporate success. In virtually every panel discussion, the experts concluded that a full understanding of human attention would necessarily begin with facts about its, psycho about its psychological and biological origins. The question, is there a psychobiology of attention, was raised in several panels and speeches, but answered in none. It turns out that, the, that there is indeed a psychobiology of attention and that understanding its basic origin, structure, and function is an invaluable aid to managing in the attention economy. While most business people hold and will continue to hold unarticulated, inaccurate assumptions about attention, those who learn how it truly works will gain a distinct competitive advantage as the age of attention progresses. Rational model. The psychobiology of attention may seem an esoteric topic for business people, but every business discipline from economic forecasting to corporate strategy to marketing relies on assumptions about this very topic. Many business people have an unexpressed concept of attention that approximates the enlightenment image of humans as purely individualistic rational beings. In this view, every individual is supposedly motivated by opportunities to maximize his or her material advantage. Accordingly, our attention is captured and held by anything that holds out the promise of some physical reward. In business, this mainly refers to as monetary rewards. Um, so this is kind of interesting in terms of this idea because remember there's also there's selective attention, there's selective perception. Um, and, and, and one thing I'll say as well is, you know, you can get anybody's attention in the world, you know, by, you know, uh, by shitposting, right? By, you know, by, by the drama rooms on Clubhouse, just trying to make this very, you know, current as well. You know, the, the concept of, you know, the naked cowboy in Times Square. You know, it's very easy to get someone's attention, number one. Well, actually... I don't know if that's even true, I'm suddenly thinking. Is it easy 
to get someone's attention. I think it is if you're prepared to make an ass of yourself or or be a clown. You know, as as I've often said, if I want to grow my show, best thing I could do is to go on Survivor or, as I joke, go on The Bachelor. You know, or some reality TV program because it's going to come with you know fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand uh, uh, Instagram follows. Um, especially if I make an ass of myself, especially if I perform a certain role, you know, the villain, the, the, you know, the hero, the nerd, you know, the, the, the puzzle solver, um, you know, the, you know, the crybaby. I'm not saying any, I'm any of those things. Maybe I'm all of those things. I don't know. You know, the, the backstabber, you know, um, and, and so if you lean into that role, um, you also become defined by it. Um, as well. Now, of course, if you win the whole thing, even more so. Um, and, and maybe that's what it takes to get attention. You've got to get the attention. You've got to keep the attention. You know? And as they say, even in the most basic you know, model, the traditional funnel, not the flipped one, it's awareness, interest, desire, action. But it's also attention, if you will, interest, desire, action. So the, the point I would just make is you can get attention you can even keep attention for a certain amount of period. Can you convert that attention, though, into intention and ultimately um, execution or the ability to buy? So back to the book. Um, this idea has shaped corporations since the Industrial Revolution. It was the concept of human nature assumed by the creators of assembly lines where individual workers were employed, literally as cogs in great manufacturing machines, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, titans of industry and efficiency experts broke production tasks into minute divisions, isolating each small function and assigning it to one worker who repeated the same actions hour after hour, day after day. At Henry Ford's automobile plants, the aim was to make each job so simple and repetitive that it could be learned within minutes by immigrant workers who spoke no English. Ford, whose legendary secretiveness amounted to genius paranoia, liked it that way. The workers did not. Although their initial job satisfaction was high because of quick training and relatively high wages, assembly line workers in Ford's factories soon found it intolerable to focus all their attention on endless iterations of one simple task. Few employees stayed at their jobs longer than two years. According to the models of human motivation that dominated academic thinking at this time, the solution to this problem should have been simple. Provide higher rewards for workers' attention. Like a pigeon that could be induced to peck a lever thousands of times if rewarded with enough food pellets, human workers were supposed to direct their attention to whatever task promised a big enough material payoff. But the longer the industrial era continued the less its participants reacted like the predictable machines they were supposed to be. Worker satisfaction mattered less in manufacturing, where new workers could be trained, quickly hired and trained to replace those who left, than it did in management. The knowledge base and interpersonal skills required in behavior, uh, though efficiency experts certainly tried, uh, uh, <clears throat> the metaphor of the corporation as a huge machine in which human beings reacted as reliably as particles in a Newtonian universe, simply didn't work. The corporation as machine failed. It's interesting when you think about AI, by the way, you know, this idea of corporation as machine. Anyway, that's what made me think of. Uh, the corporation as machine failed largely because it, almost, because it is almost impossible to fit anyone's attention, whether it's from a customer, an employee, or a CEO, into a purely rational framework. Attention is not mechanical, but organic. It is shaped not only by elegant cost-benefit analysis, but by the erratic forces of evolution. Human attention did not emerge to fit the logical calculus of an idealized societal model, but evolved out of the psychobiological realities of an environment that predated civilization by thousands of years. Now, I'm just going to read one more paragraph because it says the inner ape. Most of us would like to think of corporations as groups of sophisticated, intelligent, logical people ranking a little below the angels in attitudes and actions. The blunt truth, however, is that any business, in fact any human group, is basically a troop of apes. 96% of our genetic makeup is identical to that of baboons, 97% identical to that of gorillas. Our closest relatives, the chimpanzees, share 98% of our genetic code and are more closely related to us than they are to gorillas. 
It is believed that humans and chimpanzees split off from a common ancestor as little as five million years ago. The blink of an eye in evolutionary terms. The behaviors and and reactions coded into our genes developed because they enabled our ancestors to survive and propagate in forests and grasslands, not cubicles and offices. And these evolutionary origins still dominate the way we give, get, and hold attention. I think one of the you know interesting um, <clears throat> interesting thing here is that we you know we know that in marketing we know that in in advertising we know that we know how important it is um, to recognize the emotional side that we don't that we don't always make rational decisions. Why do we buy the sports car? Why do we have the midlife crisis? You know why do we ultimately you know there there's so many factors in play and it's not always. Um, you know, I've mentioned this many times, the, the, the cola wars. It's not actually about which is the better product. You know, the Samsung products are better than the iPhones in terms of functionality. They always have been in terms of durability, in terms of battery life, um, in terms of, you know, pixels in the camera. And yet, what do we do? We stay with the iPhone. And it's not for rational reasons. Um, so it's something to, to think about. Um, let's go, uh, I'm going to jump around and just kind of read uh, a little bit. I, I would love to also, if anyone wants uh, to jump in, ask a question, come up to stage, um, <clears throat> please do that. Um, I'm going to go back to <clears throat> a, new, um, a new perspective on business, actually the very first um, chapter, which is, which is uh, I guess, um, yeah, page one. Welcome to the Attention Economy. Uh, <clears throat> Rob Lippincott is starved for attention, a senior vice president of an online learning network in Boston. He spends virtually every minute of his day working or catching up on family business. He has nothing left for hobbies, a term that has come to seem quaint. At home, he's devoted to his wife and school-aged daughters, but even so, he feels compelled to check voicemails and emails on a regular basis. At work, the scarcity of attention is palpable. About 35%, uh, sorry, about 35 women, uh, women, what am I doing? About 35 people work for him. I, I would hope they would be all women. Um, he'd do better. About 35 people work for him, software developers and content experts, and all of them feel the need for more of Rob's attention. They and his peers and the company often ambush him on the way to the bathroom. Sometimes the best he can do is to offer someone who wants a meeting with him a shared wait in the cafeteria line Wow, does this sound familiar? What? Uh, his office is surrounded by great restaurants, but he really has enough spare time and attention to visit them. Rob spends the great majority of his day in meetings. In between, he answers emails and voicemails. <clears throat> he and his colleagues often resort to instant messages because regular emails aren't attention getting enough. Even his commutes are consumed by cell phone conversations or voicemail. Occasionally, Rob will put the top down on his convertible on sunny days so that the wind noise will dissuade callers from long conversations. As the information assault persists, Rob worries about the implications of his attention deficit. Is he giving his family all the attention it deserves? As a manager, does he owe more attention to the employees who report to him? Does his inability to reflect quietly mean that he'll overlook something important in his business? These concerns persist, and Rob has no idea how to address them. No massive infusions of free attention seems to be forthcoming. If this situation sounds familiar, you're not alone. We all know a person like Rob, though in fact he is a friend of ours. Uh, he's your boss, your neighbor, your spouse. Maybe he's even you. His experience represents today's most pressing problem, not enough attention to meet the information demands of business and society. Rob and the rest of us live in an attention economy. In this new economy, capital, labor, information, and knowledge are all plentiful uh, are all in plentiful supply. It's easy to start a business, to get access to customers and markets, to develop a strategy, to put up a website, to design ads and commercials. What's in short supply is human attention. Telecommunications bandwidth is not a problem, but human bandwidth is. At one point, software uh, magnets had, their, uh, had the ambition to put information at your, at your fingertips. Now we've got it, and in vast quantities. But no one will be informed by it, learn from it, or act on it unless... They've got some free attention to devote to the information. Unfortunately, most organizations have precious little attention to spare. 
This leads us to a principle of attention management, and this is called a deficit principle. Before you can manage attention, you need to understand just how depleted this resource is for organizations and individuals. I'm going to stop there for a second and just kind of reflect, you know, on this idea. I mean, for me, this this screams the importance of slowing down. Um, it screams uh, the need for balance. Um, it, it screams the need for us to be able to ask ourselves what percentage of our day is actually spent thinking freely, not being bombarded um, by all this stimulation. Uh, it also uh, makes me wonder when I'm fully paying attention, when I'm fully giving attention. I can tell you <clears throat> as a person, even, you know, even as, as you know, a father or a husband, I'm terrible at it. Um, you know, I, I suffer from the same addictions that probably many of you do, which is our attachment uh, to the phone. Um, you know, l- last night I was, uh, I was downstairs having, um, having dinner and my, upstairs my cell phone was ringing and, and lots of beeps were coming through and I just cut, you know, I cut uh, my time short and I ran upstairs. What was going on that needed my attention? What, what deserved my attention? Now I realize that, you know, being present was where I should have been. Um, but it's almost like the ship has sailed. It's almost like the ship has sailed when it comes to realizing, you know, how starved we are, the multitasking we do. And by definition, when we do multitask, we are not paying attention. Something that actually came up with this is this idea of, um, you know, there's when you are multitasking, uh, by definition, I mean, unless you're the perfect multitasker, and, 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 you know, from what I understand from all of you, most of you are a little bit older than teenagers in this or, or young adults in this room today. You know, so younger consumers, millennials, younger millennials, Gen Zers are better at multitasking and dividing and sharing their attention, but we are not. And so, my point is that when two or more mediums are competing for your attention, one is superior and one is subordinate. And so one of the things that I said, even, in fact, I think I wrote this in Life After the 30-Second Spot, um, is that you know we need to recognize that television itself has become music. Television has become the subordinate, not the superior. So television is background noise. I can tell you, like, one of the things um, that um, I've been doing now is, you know, I'm watching a series with subtitles, and it's the most annoying thing in the world for me because I have to pay attention. I can't even eat while I'm watching the show. Every time I look down, I'm missing something, and it's actually kind of not pleasant for me um, because it's forcing me. I'm uncomfortable. It's forcing me to pay attention. And, um, and I actually don't like it, uh, even when I do pay attention, because I'm not looking at the faces and the facial features. I'm reading the captions. Have you noticed that, that even you know, often when something's on in English, if English is your first language, um, you will notice that you are paying attention to the captions and not necessarily at body language and background and facial features. Um, so it's not all good. Um, but the fact is, I can't be multitasking. I can't be on my phone. And I struggle. Boy, do I uh, struggle um, when, when I, um, you know, when I am like on that phone um, just to pay attention. Um, so as marketers, let's think for a moment. Let's think as marketers. What do we do to get attention? How can we be superior versus subordinate? I'll just tell you, even creatively, one of the things that creatives have been very slow at, I think, adapting to in this attention economy, and I'm talking about even television commercials, is recognizing that people are not paying attention. So if you actually go from this default position, which is you are, you know, you are guilty until proven innocent when it comes to getting someone's attention. So you've got to earn that attention. Well, how do you earn the attention? You need to get the attention in the first two or three seconds of the ad. Now, 
How many times have you noticed a 30-second spot where for 25 of the 30 seconds, you have absolutely no idea what brand it's for? You don't even know what industry it's for. I'm watching ads sometimes. I'm thinking, is this for a fast food company? Is this for an airline? Is this for a car? Is this for a bank? Is this for a, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, toilet paper? I have no clue what industry it's for. And then I see the brand and it makes no sense. If you are trying to create art and a film in a 30-second commercial, then, then you are barking up the wrong tree. You're trying to sell stuff. And you're trying to do it in a relevant, uh, uh, a useful, a utilitarian, an entertaining, you know, an experiential way. But as I once wrote, you know, from ROI to RUE, relevance, utility, entertainment. That's what I wrote in Life After the 30-Second Spot. But how many ads are relevant? Not many from a targeting standpoint. How many ads have utility? Not many, you know, when we've got Bud Light with farting donkeys, you know, on, on Super Bowl spots. And what about entertainment? Well, you know, maybe at best, for the most part, we see television commercials delivering on one of those three. It's not enough. You need, you need more. You need more in terms of getting their attention and keeping it. So if I, I I'm, I'm not a, you know, a, a creative director, but I've always gravitated to that side of the business. What I would do is I would make sure in the first five seconds of that ad, it is clear, clear who the brand is or, or what the industry is. Now, some, you know, Toyota, for example, they've got like a little, like a chime. It's like a ding, ding. And, and if you're paying attention, you know that that is a Toyota ad. Um, and that is just a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an audio, audio uh, cue. Um, and it is also maybe a little subliminal because most people don't realize. Um, but that's what they're doing to say, please pay attention. This is, a, you know, this is important. May I have your attention, please? And so instead of the reveal in the final five seconds, the reveal should happen in the first five seconds, number one. Number two is, you know, right at the end of the commercial, because remember, one end of a commercial is the start of another commercial. What should be happening is there should always be some kind of a call to action. I mean, this to me is like, it still annoys me second to none. I've analyzed Super Bowl ads and in years gone by, I've just been up until maybe two or three years ago, what percent, and we've gone through waves, right? First of all, websites and URLs. Second of all, you know, uh, Twitter or, or Instagram or, you know, kind of, or Facebook or some kind of social media handle, um, more recently, QR codes. Uh, but for the most part, even up to two or three years ago, I was still absolutely like flabbergasted by how few ads actually had any kind of a call to action. And, 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 and let's just divide call to action into, remember Coinbase giving away crypto? I mean, a year ago, seems like a lifetime ago. Call to action, download this, sign up for, win this. Moving someone to take action. But at a minimum, just tell them where they can find out more information if they're interested. The third part of what I would do is everything in between. So if the first five seconds are get their attention, if the last five seconds are convert attention into intention, then the 20 seconds in the middle has got to be about keeping your attention. And the other thing that we need to do is realize that people are not necessarily watching television. If it is true that it is music in the background, then it is true that the only way you're going to get and keep their attention is through audio. So you've got to be able to think about the copy, not even the written copy, but the spoken word. I mean, listen, here we are. We're doing this Discord. We're doing the Collective Cafe, the podcast. It's all audio, Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces. Um, we are living in an audio world at the moment. And that's a third thing that I would do in terms of recognizing, you know, how to deliver against attention, even with something, you know, as lowly as a television spot. All right, I'm going to skip to the second chapter, and this is called Attention, the Story 
so far. Um, and I'm going to just try and uh, I'm going to read something that I don't know if this will, will work, but let's see if it will work for you. It's called The Eyes Don't Lie. I think I might need to, um, um, I might need to, um, to take a photo of this, which I will for you. It says, um, the bulk of recent research on attention psychology has been experiments in visual attention. How ironic is it that I just happened to go into this? Since the experts argue that the eyes don't lie, E-Y-E-S, researchers have designed tests to understand how quickly the eye can focus on a particular object in a visual field. Drawing from these experiments, we find better ways to manage attention in organizations. By maximizing both speed and attention, companies will create more competitive, more satisfying homes for their employees. Employees must attend to a variety of inputs throughout the day. Getting attention is a function of the mind singling out specific items or issues from the distractions of noise in the surrounding environment. Experimental psychologists taught us several ways to get attention most effectively. By the way, even in terms of reading this for you, it's a box, right? There's a visual, which is the eyes, which I'm going to just quickly take a photo and show you so you can see exactly what I'm seeing. I suppose I could actually even show you video, couldn't I? Uh, let's turn on the camera. Well, not, not that because now you can see. How do, I, how do I turn my camera around? I decided to be a little fancy and do something, but now I've got to figure out how to, how to back that thing up. Um, all right, so I guess I know why that's not working. There we go. Um, so there's me today. Hello, everyone. Get to see me. Uh, and this is, it's probably not going to work because of the stupid green screen. Ah! So anyway, that didn't work. But um, I've got to fix that up for next time. Maybe. Uh, oh, wait. Change video background. None. There we go. Change background. So this is what I'm looking at. Um. I think, where is it? Is it on this side? Oh, here it is. So, see those eyes? If you're looking, those are the eyes. And, and, that, and that got my attention today. Um, that got my attention in terms of a box and, oh, what's this going on? And so there are three little call-outs, and I'll read those to you. Uh, first one is called pop-out effects. In attention experiments, search times, which is the time necessary for the eye to find a given target, are longer when features of objects are similar it is easier to find an S than an I in a field of T's. Consequently, it would make sense that if you're trying to direct your employee's attention, you should have unique features that stand out in the world around them. Similarly, in the exhibit shown here, people find the slanted lines in a field of straight lines faster than they find the straight lines among slanted lines. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Okay, researchers hypothesize that we are more accustomed to processing straight lines. It is easier for our minds to reorganize the abnormal in a familiar field than to pick out the normal in an unfamiliar setting. Let's just try and, and let me read that again. It is easier for our minds to recognize the abnormal in a familiar field than to pick out the normal in an unfamiliar setting. I mean, Again, that makes sense, doesn't it, right? It actually says you've got to be different. When everyone is the same in vanilla, be different. Stand out from the crowd, you know, not by actually being the, it feels like the story of my life at the moment, trying to be the one normal person in, 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 in a circus or in chaos, uh, you know, if you know, you know, um, as opposed to this idea of being different, Here's to the rebels, the crazy ones, the misfits, the round pegs, you know, the square pegs in a round hole, the people that see things different because those are the people that change the world, right? Uh, number two is the boy who cried wolf effect. An extension of the pop-out experiments showed that novel features among a set of different novel features, flankers, as it's called, do not gain a performance benefit. In other words, the company that is always doing something new and different will not gain any advantages by doing something new and different yet again. In these cases, novel has become expected and therefore yet another novel notion or initiative will gain little, if any, natural attention. Again, my friends, if you know, you know. That is so flippin' relevant right now. You can't keep changing and moving the goalposts and flip-flopping. You need to be consistent because, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I can even identify with that statement in terms of 
trying to find the balance, like even with the show, if you keep mixing things up too often, um, you know, then, then, then you lose that consistency, that familiarity. If I just decided to, to pop in once a week into the Collective Cafe, it would be different to the thing that we, we say we're doing this five days a week, you know, and we've got more, more or less an editorial calendar. And, and, but every now and then we, we mix things up just a little bit, like trying to maybe bring the show in and figure out if there's an after show as well. But people crave consistency. And so the boy who cried wolf effect, let me summarize the first two. The first one says, be different in a sea of conformity when everything is the same. But if you are different all the time, you actually lose your difference. You are not differentiated anymore because you are now predictable and stayed in your inconsistency. The third one is called counterintuitive role of distractors. Evidence shows that attention getting is most effective when the, when the field has other distractors and that directed attention has no benefit when only one stimulus is presented within a visual field. I'm hoping that this will explain what this means. Uh, attentional benefits enhanced performance of directed attention occur only in the context of distractors. We've all met managers who try to keep their employees focused on the work and let some strategic planning group think about the external competitive world. But the attention psychology literature suggests that employees will pay more attention to their work if they understand it in the context of the competitive world. So if I understood that correctly, that was a little bit more difficult for me to understand. Um, I think the idea is things should not, things should not be in a bubble. Um, things should not be static. They should be dynamic. And um, your competitors are distractors. Uh, maybe a good interpretation of this is the importance of not blocking people on Twitter, for example. Um, the idea that, that you actually, if you surround yourself uh, with you know, the concept of yes men or yes women, um, you lose that perspective. You lose the ability to actually be challenged or to understand the relevance in context. Look, Sam Walton was famous for management by walkabout. I don't know that he created that idea, but he was famous for walking up and down the aisles of Walmart and asking people how they were and if he could help them with anything, um, and, and really at, at the rock face understanding his customer and his consumer. And to this day, the Walmart greeter um, you know, is part of that culture, you know, in terms of, of not, you know, uh, not being too detached from the world, your competitive set, your customers, um, your, your collaborators, your colleagues, you've got to diversify in life, in everything. Um, it's important to constantly, you know, yesterday, um, I had, um, uh, the, the travel guy, I think is his name, um, uh, Eli Fasenda on the show. Um, and we just spoke about the idea of travel uh, from a diversity standpoint, from a perspective standpoint. You know, and, and one thing I said is when you go to a new country, um, I don't know if you like this with me. Should I? I'm, st I'm glad I didn't pick my nose. Um, but I forgot the camera was on. Um, but when you go to a new country, it, you must find the time to to see the country or see the city because you never know when you're going to be back there. The same really should apply for a local, from a local standpoint. I, I went to Russia. I went to Moscow uh, years ago um, to do some training programs for Coca-Cola. And I'm so glad that I paid, I don't know what it was, um, to, to have a guide who met me at the hotel. And uh, I went on a half a day walking tour. I went to the Kremlin. I went to... Um, you know, Red Square, I saw, um, I guess it was Lenin, Lenin uh, in state, really freaky, like literally it's him, you know, with like, you know, all the formaldehyde and everything inside. And it's like open casket. So like, like I, I think I could have probably like dived and lent in and touched him. Um, but make no mistake, there were about 12 soldiers with like muskets and, you know, uh, uh, guns with like, I don't know, spears or whatever the case may be. 
Um, and I didn't try that. Um, but, um, but I'm so glad I did because I don't know that I'll ever go back to Moscow. I was, and then one day I actually went back and, and I took the subway, which was kind of scary because I couldn't speak a word of the language. Um, and uh, the only way I could even remember which, which um, uh, subway stop I was meant to go to is I was like, okay, there are nine characters and three of them looks, look like houses because they have this one that looks almost like, I don't know, like the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and, that's how, uh, and that's how I got my way around there. But if you don't do that, um, if you don't stop and, and smell the roses, if you don't pause, if you don't uh, pay, you know, we say be present. You can't be present if you don't pay attention. And if you pay attention, I think you have to be present. Um, especially if you weighed out the distractions, which is not to say, which is different from this idea of, of um, in context of understanding the way the world is changing, um, and, uh, but in context of all the dynamics uh, in play. Um, so just as a reminder, in about 14 minutes, the POAP will be available. Uh, it is, uh, it is um, what did I say? It was Mrs... Um, Bez, keep me honest here, Mrs. Uh, Davis, uh, which is a new series um, as well. I also think like, for example, you know, the attention economy and uh, the experience economy, Joe Pine's experience economy, they came out at very uh, similar times. And, um, and I was very influenced by both books. And, and that's why I actually think that they're so interconnected because, because you know, an experience by definition – an experience by definition is something that, that is time well spent as opposed to time well saved. This comes from Joe Pine. And also it is something that is memorable. You cannot have an experience that isn't memorable. Something that's instantly forgettable can never be an experience. I also don't think you can actually have an experience if there is no attention present or you're not paying attention. The kinds of things that we remember and stay with us forever are the things that get our attention. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a very simple uh, lesson today that actually says, you know, be present, pay attention, be aware of the distractions, not the good distractions, competitors, etc., but, but, you know, the bad distractions, but also find the time and take the time to give your attention, to pay your attention, to earn other people's attention. Um, you know, I just bought the Kindle Scribe, and I'm really trying to get in a um, to get into a um, a habit where, when I feel inspired to to draw, to you know, to create, to um, you know, come up with an idea that I that I just immediately put pen to paper. In this case, uh, digital paper. When I'm inspired, when I'm you know making my coffee or in the shower, etc. We have to actually declutter our lives. Otherwise, we'll always be um, suboptimal. And this is the point of that story at the beginning today. If you go through your life, first of all, if you give too much of your attention to one person, to one community, uh, even to one company, to one person, um, you lose the perspective. So find and divide your time accordingly, but also give yourself time. You know, I've had, I've had so many conversations, um, uh, you know, over the last three years. And one of the things that I remember that stuck out um, uh, for me was, um, I think it's a piece of software that won't allow you to book back-to-back meetings. It's just as simple as that. Isn't it a brilliant idea that you actually, I mean, even culturally, if you say in your company, that, you, that there's no such thing as a back-to-back meeting. And so in some cases, you can create certain rules, like 15-minute breaks. Now, what you don't want to do, obviously, is to run so long. Well, first of all, what you definitely don't want to do, how many times has this happened to you, or how many times have you done this to people, where one meeting bleeds into the next, and so you're late for the second, and then you're late for the third, and then you're late for the fourth, and it just gets worse and worse. It's like a doctor's office. So the best way to handle that is to, is to create these these forced breaks, um, 
And then also to stick to them. Yesterday we went bit, a bit long. You know, we had a new, we, we've got a couple of new faces here, which is amazing. So if I haven't said hello to Product Avenger, uh, Influencer X, Shadows Pub came in a little bit late. Um, Billy, I don't know if I said hello to you as well. Uh, we're up to nine or 10, almost 10 today. We've still got 10 to go uh, to hit our goal in 14 days of 20 people in the room. Uh, we can we can do this. I, I, I know we can. Um, and, um, you know, so we went a bit long yesterday, but, but consistency of meetings is important. Have the meeting at the same place, the same time every day and stick to the same parameters. It's important to do for some of the reasons that even we discussed um, today. Um, but that idea of consistency, you know, of it's respect as well that comes from, I mean, I've seen in many companies that it actually becomes a cultural imperative in terms of how they handle meetings, meeting etiquette. I don't know why more companies don't have more meeting etiquette. Even in a clubhouse room or a Twitter space, you need meeting etiquette in terms of people understanding their roles and understanding that they have a role and their value um, and, and, and maybe that's one way to get someone's attention, you know, as opposed to someone who is uh, on mute for the entire call and then right at the end they come off mute and they go, thanks everybody, that was great, appreciate it very much, just to basically kind of check in. Because if you just check in like that, the reality is you've just uh, checked out. Um, and so, you know, those 15-minute breaks, it makes me think of another um, – uh, another guest that on the show that spoke about the Pomodoro effect. Um, I think you've probably, I would imagine you've heard of the Pomodoro effect, um, but I will Pomodoro technique, uh, as it's called. Um, I don't practice it, but maybe I should. Uh, Pomodoro is a tomato, I think. And uh, I'm just going to put a link here for you in, in the back chat. And again, just remember, um, if you are, um, subscribe to the podcast and you want to hear any of these uh, links um, or see these links, you can just come to uh, the cafe chat. Um, Wikipedia says the Pomodoro technique is a time management method developed by Francesco Cirillo in the late 1980s. It uses a kitchen timer to break work into intervals, typically 25 minutes in length, separated by short breaks. Um, that is probably one way that we um, you know, not only uh, protect our attention, uh, but also replenish. And, and I think that's an important point as well, the importance of being able to replenish, you know, to, to regenerate our energy, um, to make sure that we aren't, you know, exhausted uh, in, in, in a meeting, in a, in a space, in a, in a discord. Um, for me, I've always said that we should always come out a little bit better than when we came in. We should leave the space in a better place than when we found it. We should always learn something new. And sometimes maybe we don't learn something new, but we just had a good time. Tomorrow is uh, No Agenda Friday, um, which means we can discuss anything that you want to discuss, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, you know, We will give each other uh, attention. Uh, we will give each other grace. We'll give each other space. Um, and we will try and be present with, with one another. Um, I kind of like the idea today of being on video only because um, I realize that you may or may not be looking at me and I'm kind of looking at myself too, which, you know, let me not be too narcissistic here. Um, but it but allows me to be a little bit more present with you as opposed to, you know, looking around. I mean, you could see right now if I'm on my phone. Well, you can't always see on a Zoom, right? Because, you know, I'm looking at my phone right now. And can you tell? Can you tell that I'm looking at my phone? The phone, when when does the phone actually there? It only, I mean, it looks like it's almost in front of my face. Um, so, you know, you want to know that I'm paying attention uh, to you as well. So hello to Peggy. So we just hit 10 right now. We're only 10 away from hitting our number uh, of 20 um, and uh, as I said, I think we can do it. So there's about six or seven minutes left. POAP goes live in six minutes. Remember the uh, password or the secret word is Mrs. Davis, uh, which is a new show on Peacock. I'm not being paid to say that, but maybe I should have been. Any thoughts, any comments about the book, about the attention economy? Uh, just remember, I have not uh, shared it yet, 
um, but I am going to uh, I am going to um, uh, set up the show. Uh, we pre-recording today uh, with uh, Tom Davenport. We'll be talking about the attention economy. Really, the point I'm just going to ask him about is just the idea of the dynamism, right? Which is which is what made you write about the book at that time. Could you ever have imagined that we would be where we are today then? And where are we today? And where are we heading? And that will become a really good segue for what he really wants to talk about, which is AI um, and, and, and where we're going with chat, uh, GPT. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I just wanted to say about chat GPT is it's quite obvious and clear that, that what is going to be happening now is things that typically took a week, a day, a month, even a year can now take seconds. And I think we just have to accept that. And I think we also have to start with a position, a default position, which is anybody that says computers will never replace humans and, you know, and um, they're there just to help us and make our lives better. Like that is, that is a fatal assumption. I think you've got to assume, you know, and Anne Handley said this on my show, we got to up our game. We got to up our game. We got to do better. We got to pay attention. We've got to pay attention now. We have got to make sure that when we do something, we do it perfectly imperfectly or imperfectly perfectly. And what I mean by that is sometimes the flaws, sometimes even, uh, by the way, you don't think chat, you don't think chat GPT will get better at, uh, at, at even being able to make mistakes. Um, and because it will, you know, and, and, and I mean, I was just thinking about that. You could even have, I think, chat uh, GPT probably, um, you know, write something with a few grammatical errors uh, just to make it seem a little, uh, a little human. Um, uh, Shadows Pub says, be wary of accuracy, though. I had great fun doing a biography using chat GPT the other day. It did admit to the mistakes uh, when challenged. I mean, it does seem like it's a little bit of a game at the moment. Like we're still having fun. We're still using it in a tactical sort, uh, in like a like a gimmicky sort of way. But I think at the same time, I mean, I, I think the challenge I would give to people is, I'm not going to diminish or underplay or marginalize. But would you really bet your life on it? Would you really apply to college with that essay? Would you really? Take it on face value, and uh, you know, and submit, um, you know, and 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 take what your smart contract evaluation, um, you know, and and just implement it to the letter of the law. I think the answer is we need to take that, and then we need to build on top of it. I think we all recognize. I think that seems to be the smart approach here, which is you take it as a starting point, as an accelerant, and then you build. On top of it, the the other thing um, that I that I would say as well is I actually think uh, Billy, you're going to love this. Um, I actually think that this is going to be a huge, huge boost for IRL. For for uh, I mean, we discussed this at South by Southwest, the flipped classroom that actually says I will write, uh, I will you know uh, tape the the lesson, and and my students will actually learn uh, remotely, so they'll watch it at home, and, and then in class, we'll discuss. So in other words, the assignments will be done in class, case method, case studies, uh, presentations. The classroom will be the homework, and home will be the classwork. And that's one way. The other part of it is IRL, which is actually bringing people together, not forcing them but actually people realizing the only way that you know at the moment, you might not know that I'm human. I might be a bot. I might be an apparition or a, or a you know, a, what do you call it? Um, a, um, I keep wanting to say halusa. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I can't remember the word. A hologram. Um, I might be at some point. I might be a deep fake at some point. Um, but until that, um, the power of video will also play a role. So video audio, right, IRL, it almost seems like what's old is new again. So it's kind of like an interesting little uh, spin or twist. Again, I wouldn't bet the farm on it. Not at all. I, I wouldn't, 
you know i think we i think we underestimate at our peril so we're kind of like damned if we do damned if we don't um but in many respects that's the interesting connection right between attention and now ai as i often say you can't automate stupid um so uh thank you everyone for being a part of this remember tomorrow tomorrow is no agenda friday so assuming you all show up tomorrow and quite frankly if every single one of you brings one person tomorrow we we might even hit our our goal and i will issue a very special poem to each and every one of you um but until we do that um if everyone comes tomorrow you you all come on stage bring something that's on your mind that you want to talk about a question a comment something in the news uh something that's exciting you something that's frustrating you um and uh and the goal is to for me to talk the least tomorrow if we can do that you know as as bez was saying the other day with super bosses uh my goal as a leader leading this is to put myself out of business if a leader's job is to create more leaders then my job is to be able to um you know be the host that um and I've said this often that you only come to when something goes wrong uh you can talk amongst yourselves occasionally I'll talk with you too um but we are all when not we're not superior or subservient we're just all equal and we're all kind of part of this beautiful mix um so have an amazing day everyone Uh this podcast will be up in about an hour or an hour and a half. I will also share the Tom Davenport link um in uh in the server in Cafe Chat if any of you are interested in attending and commenting live and I will see some of you tomorrow. Uh I'm going to try and figure out how to uh, take off the video without and see if it doesn't actually end the whole thing. Um so um see you tomorrow. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.